0: In the 5th century CE, the Greek philosopher Proclus wrote that the same argument that keeps the whole world perfect posits evil among beings. In the 18th century, the satirist Bernard Mandeville would inspire the economist Adam Smith with his poem describing a city where every part was full of vice, yet the whole mass a paradise. Connecting these two distant thinkers is the claim that evil somehow contributes to the good of the whole. How can such an articulation of good and evil make sense? And how can studying such historical arguments be relevant to understanding our situation today? Hi, and welcome to Research Bites, the podcast of the Martin Buber Society of Fellows. In each episode, we feature innovative research in the humanities and the social sciences by one of our fellows. Let's turn to Dr. Christian Volin, who is interviewing Dr. Antonio Vargas,
1: ancient philosophy researcher. Antonio, as a philosopher, you have been thinking through the problem of evil for four years now. Last year, you published an article which made the surprising link between evil in ancient Greek philosophy and the neoliberal understanding of the common good. How did you come upon such an unexpected connection?
2: So, I stumbled on the subject of the article almost by accident at the end of my PhD. I had been working on Proclus, a Greek philosopher from the 5th century CE, active in Athens, when I realized he had a scandalous theodicy that is, a scandalous account of the place of evil in the world given the existence of God. And I felt it was like my duty to study this theodicy and to make the results of my research known, especially because during my PhD, I had done so much to promote Proclus as an intelligent philosopher worthy of attention. So what was this scandalous theodicy? So uh, this solution to the problem of evil was that most human beings have to be evil in order for there to be animals, right? Um, So Proclus was a Neoplatonist, which means he did his philosophy mostly by commenting on Plato. And he thought that to get the world right, you have to get Plato right. And now Plato in his text, the Timaeus, presented the abundance of living species, what we'd call biodiversity, as part of what makes the world perfect, And he also said that the world was uh, created in the best possible manner uh, because it was the product of a good god. And so he thought that it had to have all the different kinds of animals. Furthermore, Proclus also believed that animals come to be because human beings behave irrationally, which for Proclus means behaving in evil ways. Um... Behind this is the idea of transmigration, of souls or reincarnation, right? So human beings who behave like pigs are reborn as pigs. Human beings who behave like wolves are reborn as wolves and so on. Wait, can you tell us more about transmigration and what is reincarnation? What is that? So Proclus thinks that animals, humans, and the stars are all alive because they move themselves. And what makes them alive is their soul. Now, importantly, Proclus thinks that the soul has a separate existence from the body it animates. Indeed, whereas humans and animals are born and die, souls are perpetual, they always existed, and they always will exist. So after the death of a human being, their soul goes on to give life to a new creature. An irrational animal, if they've led an irrational life, or a rational one, if they've led a rational one. If they've lived a particularly good and wise life, They might even not be reborn as a human being, but enjoy a life among the stars for a period. And to connect this with what I was explaining earlier, Proclus reasoned that if biodiversity is part of what makes the world perfect, and also that the world is a product of good gods, he was a polytheist, then they would make sure that it was biodiverse. But this means that there must be human beings behaving in an irrational, evil way. We need cowards, tyrants, and other uh, kinds of vicious people to make sure that there are all different kinds of animals. So Proclus argued that the gods engineered the world so that most human beings choose irrational, that is, evil lives, and therefore are reborn as animals. So what's so scandalous about this? So, on the one hand, Proclus understood the philosopher as a kind of moral guide. After all, living morally involved living rationally for him. Now, imagine you are a student of his, and you are struggling with progressing in your moral life and in your philosophical studies. It would be very demotivating for him to turn and say to you, well, you know, not everyone is meant to be a human in the next life. There need to be people who will end up being pigs. So not uh, A very exciting answer to hear from a philosopher. Furthermore, Proclus' theodicy seems to attribute evil to the gods, who he says are perfectly good. He only managed to avoid this because what the gods do in his system is only create a world where, statistically, most human beings become evil and choose vice. No human being is forced or determined to do evil. Everyone is responsible for their own actions. However, what does that mean? What does it mean that we're free when the cards are stacked against us, and most of us reliably make the wrong choices? Proclus' gods have put us into a kind of honey trap. This sounds very sinister. So what did you make of
1: your discovery of this philosophical honey trap?
2: I saw myself as having two jobs. First of all, I had to understand Proclus' reasons, right? I had to understand this theodicy from within. This involved reconstructing the arguments, for instance, what is Proclus' exact argument why every animal needs a separate soul, and also seeing just how much Proclus details this view. For instance, I discovered that Proclus designates a specific goddess responsible for organizing the transmigration of souls, Circe, right, who in the Odyssey famously transforms Odysseus' shipmates into pigs and tempts him to abandon his quest to Ithaca second task was understanding the scandal, right? How could Brachos think this? And is it really so absurd to think this? This may be just a subjective reaction of mine. Here, a comparative perspective helped me. For instance, how is this different from Christian predestination, the view that God predestines only some human beings to glory, and especially the version put forth by John Calvin, right? According to which God not only predestines some people to be with him in heaven, but positively, eternally damns the rest of humankind and sends them to hell, right? Um, Also, what is this relation to liberal views? The private vices, public benefits argument um, that you find most famously in Adam Smith that everyone acting selfishly is good for society as a whole, right? This latter perspective, this latter point of comparison became quite useful to me as I discovered a parallel criticism of neoliberalism as demonizing, that is, turning people into devils, in Adam Kotzko's work, an American theologian. So Kotzko's view is that neoliberalism, on the one hand, treats people as free agents, right? Sometimes you see the expression sovereign consumers, Uh, But on the other hand, it denies them that same freedom, it requires them to have certain patterns of consumption, and people find themselves in an an unequal situation uh, where they're not all equally free. And yet when we ask about the cause of this inequality, the answer is the free choices of the individuals. So like in the case of Proclus, what we have here is freedom as blameworthiness. Yes, every individual is responsible for their choices but they find themselves playing against overwhelming odds. This not only gave me a basis for comparison, but also a way to make my research more interesting for a contemporary audience. So what, what, what to me seems to link
1: uh, Proclus, Calvin, and Adam Smith is the model or the idea of an economy underlying
2: things. So. Right, uh, precisely. They all have some kind of cosmic householding, right? So um, Proclus needs to have Circe organizing the transmigration of souls so that there's always the right amount of tyrants for there always to be wolves, the right amount of uh, vain people for there to be peacocks, and so on. And you have this same concern about an economy, a certain order of providence uh, in the economic theories as well. And actually the basis for this comparison between political orders and theologies as i understand it is the idea that on the one hand in a theology especially in a theodicy god plays the role of the good of the world right he everything uh, is drawn towards god as their final end and as their ultimate goal and also he is the cause of everything and in a similar way, in traditional political theory, um, the common good, right? The common good of society, like justice, is both the end for which people act in a city or in a society, and it's also a cause of their behaviors. Um, norms mold people. So, all this sounds very fascinating. What did you do with it? So, what I did was I organized a conference with my colleague Inon Vigoda. And that was in December 2019. We called it The Conspiracy of the Good, Unnecessary Evil. And it was about bringing together perspectives from many different traditions on this idea, right? Showing that this idea that somehow evil is necessary for the good is something that pops up in all kinds of places. So we had people talking about Hinduism, Islam, Jewish traditions, Christian traditions. I talked about Proclus. It was a very fruitful and engaging conversation that we had at the university. And we found it It was like really fitting to do it here in Jerusalem and at the Hebrew University because one of the founding figures of the university, uh, Gershom Sholem, wrote a famous essay called Redemption Through Sin. That was about the messianic movement around Shabtai Tzvi. And at the conference, I presented an initial formulation of these ideas connecting neoliberalism with Proclus, and I got very good feedback and encouragement.
1: And so what came of all this? I mean, of all your efforts, the conference and all these discussions and your new input?
2: Right. So on the basis of um of the feedback and encouragement and especially on the basis of some surprising feedback where some people thought that I was advocating for Proclus's position, I changed my paper, I developed it into an article and that was published last year in Political Theology with the title The Conspiracy of the Good: Proclus' Theodicy qua Political Theological Paradigm, which if people are interested The article will be linked in the description of the podcast. Absolutely.
1: We'd love to read that. Well, that is all truly fascinating. Thank you so much for sharing this wealth of ideas with us. And I'm sure we're all looking forward to reading more and hearing more about it. Thank you. Thank you.
0: You have been listening to Research Bytes. The podcast of the martin buber society of fellows in the humanities and social sciences in this podcast we hope to offer a taste or a bite of the research taking place in our society and the kinds of conversations taking place in its offices hallways and indeed the kitchen additional episodes discuss matters such as the collaboration between the catholic church and the stasi in east germany and the visual aspects of the Quran. Our thanks to Omri Ben Dor, our series producer, recorder, and editor. The Buber Society is a German Israeli collaboration housed at the Hebrew University and founded by the German Federal Ministry for Education and Research. For more information about the Martin Buber Society of Fellows, about this episode and about additional episodes, please visit our website, buberfellows.huji.ac.il. That is buberfellow dot uj Thank you.